Good day and welcome to the United for the Messiah podcast. My name is Edward Davies and today we are in Proverbs chapter 9. So but before we begin tonight, let's just start with the opening prayer. Heavenly Father, I praise you for the privilege to teach your word. Lord, as I am sinful, I ask that your Holy Spirit will guide my tongue so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, my Lord and Redeemer. Please speak to each and every one that will listen to this podcast. Ask us in your precious and wonderful name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I said, tonight our Bible study is in Proverbs 9. And there are two clear and distinct themes in this chapter. And I will use the headings as it is in the New King James Version. It's the way of wisdom and the way of folly. Or in other words, the way of foolishness. Folly can also mean foolishness. So we can read the... Proverbs 9 text um, and we can come to quite a simple conclusion Um, if we read it plainly and we understand it as we do in old age old themes of good versus bad and wisdom versus foolishness and so on we will see that if we choose the side of good or the path of wisdom that it is beneficial and wholesome for us and vice versa if we choose the path of folly that it is not beneficial for us it's actually harmful for us physically and spiritually But tonight, we will take a little bit of a different view on these themes, and we will rather look at it as two different invitations. So we will explore these themes tonight as two different invitations, and from two distinct individuals. So let's start by reading the first six verses of this chapter. The Way of Wisdom Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live, and go in the way of understanding. So let's pause there for a moment after the six verses. We are privileged to live in a time where We have the complete divine revelation from God. We therefore have the privilege of interpreting the Old Testament scripture in the light of Jesus Christ. As Jesus himself did, and as well as the uh, apostles repeatedly did in the New Testament. Chuck Missler used to say that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. I believe the passage we will go through tonight is one such case where the New Testament, or more particularly, the words of Jesus Christ himself, illuminates this chapter we are dealing with. It is interesting how similar these verses are to the parable Jesus told in Matthew 22, verse 1 to 14, and the same parables also in Luke 14, verse 15 to 24. And I would like us to read this parable together, as it is recorded in Matthew 22, as we will compare these two accounts, uh, because I believe they are parallel, and Jesus gave us the parable for for one specific reason but it's just uncanny how similar it is to this proverbs 9 chapter and we will look at the the types that we can get from from this parable and apply it to the proverbs chapter 9 text that we're in tonight and jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said so let's pause there for just a, a, a quick moment what does Matthew mean spoke to them again by parables? In the previous chapters of Matthew, Jesus was telling parables regarding the kingdom of God. 
Do you remember the parable where the wicked vine dressers killed the son of the owner of the vineyard? In that parable, Jesus basically spelt it out that he was the son that the parable was referring to. So let's continue in verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burnt up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So there are a couple of things that we need to note in this parable. Uh, which will shed some light on the Proverbs 9 passage we are dealing with tonight. So firstly, before I continue, as I said in the beginning of this Bible study, there are, I've read many commentaries on this Bible study as I, as, as I went through this in preparation. And there's a, one group of people and one group of commentators and scholars that read this text plainly. And um, they don't want to make too many parallel assumptions and connections to the New Testament scripture. Then there are a couple of well-respected commentators and scholars who do follow that path. And I am one of the people who will rather will look at this as a parallel to the New Testament parable. And the reason I'm saying this is that there's a golden thread right throughout scripture and it's the same holy spirit who inspired the plus minus 40 authors who wrote the um, bible over a 1500 year period uh, which resulted in 66 distinct books and letters we have in the bible it's the same author that guided it's the same holy spirit who guided all these authors to pen down god's divine revelation and i believe jesus christ can be seen throughout scripture there's references to him everywhere so yes there's a plain text reading of it and there's definitely application to that but i would rather and i want to focus tonight on the parallel account as found in uh, um in matthew 22. so because i'm taking that view i would like to draw your attention to acts 17 verse 11 where luke is talking about the bereans he says these were more fair-minded than those in thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So please don't just accept anything I say in this Bible study. And I've said this before. Please don't accept anything anyone says in the Bible study as, as the gospel truth. You should always 
yes obviously you must trust you c must be able to trust your teacher and, and you and you are able to do that over a period of time but you must always search the scriptures yourself to see whether these things are so so test the scriptures go and see whether you agree or whether you do not agree and you can come to your own conclusion um, at the end of the day it's just important that we consistently look at scripture in, uh, um, in a systematic theology uh, point of view that the um, that we are not um, heretical in our views and um, we can agree to disagree if it's if it doesn't go against the, the doctrine of, of the church um, that's not a problem and like I like I joked and I joked with a friend yesterday and um, I said you know that um, we have slightly different views on this which is uh, not a problem I mean that is where um, dialogue in theology uh, plays a, a huge role in our growth spiritually as well and for us to sort of um, work out these texts in our mind so that we can get a clearer understanding thereof so uh, we can always one day ask Jesus <laughs> and I say that with uh, you know tongue-in-cheek we can ask Jesus one day um, in heaven um, that's the most important thing and then we can find out um, if I was wrong then um, that's that is what it is you know uh, I don't think anyone will be correct in the interpretation all the time um, but that being said I've done a lot of searching uh, and I think this is this is the correct view um, so there are a couple of things that we need to note in this parable which will shed light on the Proverbs 9 passage we are dealing with what type of feast is being arranged here it's we see it's a wedding feast you will see that this is remarkably similar to the first invitation we will look at tonight and who is arranging the wedding feast it's the father and who is he arranging it for it's his son so here I believe we have the father representing God the father the son representing Jesus Christ and the bride being the church so who is the servants then it's the bride of Christ while still on earth and this feast is in heaven so I believe the people who were invited first and who did not want to come the people who killed the servants bringing the message was the unbelieving Jews of the time in the parable recorded before this one the son was killed we now know that the servants going out to fulfill the Great Commission which started with the 11 disciples originally were heavily persecuted and martyred and we know that happens today still we also know that Jesus was killed I mean <laughs> that's what the whole gospel message hinges on we also see a reference to whipping and gnashing of teeth in this parable which always I'll say usually but I think always alludes to hell in scripture so now let's move back to the Proverbs 9 chapter and see if we can apply these types consistently so Proverbs 9 verse 1 wisdom has built her house she has hewn out her seven pillars so most commentaries I've consulted share my belief that the ultimate wisdom is Jesus Christ himself he is wisdom personified Proverbs 2 verse 6 uh, confirms this by stating for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding therefore Jesus has built his house what to who does the house of Jesus refer to it's the church and you're gonna ask me how do we know this or how can we know this let's look at Matthew 16 verse 18 and I also say to you that you are Peter and this is Jesus speaking now to Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it Jesus was not, was not speaking about Peter being the rock here he was referring to himself we see in 1 Peter 2 verse 6 therefore it has also it is also contained in, in the scripture behold I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect precious and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame 
The Old Testament scripture that Peter quoted was Isaiah 28 verse 16. Jesus himself is therefore the rock, the cornerstone of this house, which is the church. In Ephesians 2 verse 19 to 22, it also tells us who the cornerstone and foundation of this house is, as well as who the house is. So let's read that. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we, born-again believers, together are the house. The apostles and prophets together are the foundation. And we have the prophets and apostles together in the Word of God, which is the Bible. So now we, we know the house is. So let's get to the, to the, the purpose of our house. What's the purpose of our house? It's a place to rest. It's a place to eat. It's a place for shelter, a place for safety. It's a place where we can study. It's a place where we can fellowship. And we know that's talking about the church. So if we as a church are the house, then what are the seven pillars? We read, she has hewn out her seven pillars. So we don't know for sure what the seven pillars are. And there are, again, many, many, many different views on this from different scholars. And I won't take too, mu too much of a hard stance on this, but I'll give you um, two of the interpretations. And, uh, um, and you can make up your mind for yourself on that. Um, the number seven in scripture represents completeness or perfection that we know um, So we don't know for sure what the seven pillars are like I said um, But some believe it's a parallel to Isaiah 11 verse 2 Which speak uh, which speaks about the sevenfold spirit of the Lord and um, I would like to read that passage for you just so you can get a sense of, of what uh, the scholars are talking about So Isaiah 11 verse 2 says the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So this is what they're talking about, the sevenfold spirit of the Lord, the perfect spirit, the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is what some scholars believe it is. But we, we can't know for sure. Um, so as I said, the number seven refers to the completion and perfection in scripture normally. So the question I have is, is the church complete and perfect? No, <laughs> we are far from complete and perfect. So, what do the pillars of a house do? They support the walls, the roof, and the ceiling. But we read in the Ephesians 2 scripture that we are being fitted together, growing into the holy temple in the Lord. So, we are a part of this house. But we have a cornerstone, that's Jesus Christ. We have a foundation, that we've also seen, that's the prophets and the apostles. And now we see that we are supported by perfect pillars as well. And for myself, the only thing I can think of is that the two, what are the two perfect resources that Jesus Christ has provided for us um, that's, that we have to our disposal to keep us safe and where we can rest in? It's the Bible and the Holy Spirit. So let's continue in verse 2. And I promise this study will pick up pace. She has slaughtered the meat, she has mixed the wine. She has also furnished her table. She prepared everything for the feast. Compare this verse with Matthew 22 verse 4. Again he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. 
So who is the she again? It's wisdom and therefore Jesus. Jesus said he has gone to prepare a place for us. John 14 verse 3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So she has slaughtered the meat. The King James Version translates meat as beasts. In other words, it reads, She hath killed the beasts. So many of the other commentaries agree that the beasts spoken of is synonymous with the animals that are used to be sacrificed in the Old Testament for the covering of sin. So she has furnished the table. In Psalm 23 verse 5 it speaks about, um, or the psalmist says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Wisdom has prepared for this banquet or for, for, for this feast. How did the triune God prepare everything for us so that our cups run over? He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be incarnated, who lived a perfect life, and He died on a cross for our sins. Instead of the beasts that were used to temporarily cover sin, as in the Old Testament sacrifices, He was the ultimate sacrifice to forever take away our sin. So we continue, she has mixed the wine. A commentator by the name of Clark says this about the mixing of wine in those days. He says, among the ancient Jews, Greeks and Romans, wine was rarely drank without being mingled with water, and among ancient writers we find several ordinances for this. Some direct three parts of water to one of wine, some five parts, and Pliny mentions some wines that required twenty waters, but the most common proportions appear to have been three parts of water to two of wine. So, other than this sort of explanation of what it historically mean for um, what it historically mean of the mixing of wine. They also speak about mixing wine with spices and, and things like that. But I did not find a suitable explanation for the mixing of the wine. But if you consider Jesus to be wisdom, then the wine mixed with water, which appears in the same passage where she, she killed the beasts, talking about the ultimate sacrifice, then it could allude to how the blood and water came out of Jesus when the Roman soldiers pierced his side to confirm that he was already dead. Let's continue in verse 3. She has sent out her maidens... She cries out from the highest places of the city. She sent out her maidens. Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20 reads, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. So we see here that Jesus sent out his servants. But 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 also tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus did not only send out his servants, but he has provided them with everything they need for every good work. We saw that earlier that the, the, um, we've got the seven perfect pillars, which um, and, and I'll bring it back in here now. The church are the maidens um, that, that's spoken of in this verse. Jesus has sent us out, and He has given us everything we need in the form of Scripture and of the Holy Spirit. We have those two perfect resources to our, um, to our benefit. And also... I say resources with the utmost respect because the Holy Spirit is part <laughs> is a person is a personal personal um person of the triune God 
so uh, um, I'm not saying it's a thing or, or something like that um, but I'm saying that the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us and even scripture John 1 verse 1 says or John 1 says that um, the Jesus is the word um, and the word became flesh for us so <laughs> the scripture is the word the word was was inspired by the Holy Spirit the triune God we go on cries out from the highest places in the city in Matthew 10 verse 27 we also read that whatever I tell you this is Jesus speaking again whatever I tell you in the dark speak in the light and what you hear in the ear preach on the housetops the wisdom of God is not something to be ashamed about Romans 1 verse 16 Paul write I believe Paul writes for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek this verse says wisdom is proclaiming this from the rooftops. Jesus did proclaim the good news and that's why he was killed. We also need to be bold and proclaim this message and invitation. We are going to be persecuted at times. But we need to, that's no means for us to be quiet. We need to proclaim this gospel message and the wisdom. Verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread. And drink of the wine I have mixed. So whoever is simple, let him turn in here. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 we see, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. God can use anybody. Everyone is sinful. And we are all simple. <laughs> I, I'm talking about myself included here. Before we come to Christ. And once we are in Christ, we realize how simple and weak we are. We actually are. We can actually do nothing without uh, without God and without Christ. Eat of my bread, uh, eat of my bread, and drink of my wine. Since we are looking at this banquet at, as a wedding feast of Christ, we cannot help but compare this passage to the Last Supper or the Holy Communion. During his ministry, Jesus had this to say. In John fifty was uh, sorry, John six verse fifty to fifty four, he says, "This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die." I am the living bread which came down from heaven. So this is Jesus speaking about himself now. If anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Earlier in that chapter in John 6, in verse 35, Jesus said that he is the bread of life. He said, You comes to me shall never hunger, and you believes in me shall never thirst. So, when this verse in Proverbs says that we should come drink of wisdom's wine and eat of her bread, it's saying that it will completely satisfy you, as opposed to the earthly passions that will never satisfy a person. And we'll get to that later in the competing invitation. You can see the urgency of wisdom here that cries out to people to turn to her, to turn away from foolishness and follow the way of life and the way of understanding. It's the same kind of urgency as in the parable of the wedding feast. The king urged the people who were invited to come to the feast. The king was the father. Everything was prepared, but they did not come. In fact, some of them killed the king's servants who were bringing the message. The king therefore sent out his servants to go get anyone willing to come to the feast. The King who is God the Father has opened up the invitation to us all. In John 3 verse 16, 
John records, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the open invitation for all to attend this feast. We will see later that there are only two options available to us, and we will see that in John 3 verse 18. But I'll wait for a little bit later to share that. Let's continue in verse 6. Forsake foolishness and live, and go in the way of understanding. So let's look at two scripture passages that talks about the foolish things. In Philippians 3 verse 8, Paul says, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, oh sorry, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Paul also writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 19, where he says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. This is the truth. Our pastor on Sunday mentioned this as well. The things we did that kept us very busy before we came to Christ are foolishness. It does not and cannot satisfy us. It's empty. It's unfulfilling. And that's the way we were, cre we were created. Nothing can satisfy us and fill the void but the true God. So let's continue in verse 7. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hates you. It's worth looking at what scripture says about wicked people, as mentioned in this verse. In other words, unsaved people. I go to scripture quite often because scripture is the best commentary that I have on, on other scripture. That's the first place I would like to go to. And for these reasons, I, I, I do quote it a lot. Because you'll see now, this is the best um, advice for us. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is a power of God. And in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, uh, Paul writes, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I thought I would, I'll, I'll tell you a story um, of my own personal experience. I thought I would try to join some Christian Facebook groups. And, I, and I've got a lot of friends on Facebook, that's from my days in school, in university, and older older acquaintances and uh, the problem is my Facebook feed um, I haven't really managed it and switched off any uh, people's comments and, and, and posts I basically see everything and it's a lot of negativity and a lot of um, sort of fake news posted and things that are not discerned um, but nonetheless I thought I'll join some Christian Facebook groups uh, because I thought I would if I join these groups, I would um, I would see some articles that may be edifying and interesting to read, and that will be able where I can build my faith. So one of these groups I joined were one for creationists. However, the amount of arguing with unbelievers on this page is unbelievable. And from this and from other encounters earlier in my life, I've come to the realization that if people are not born again, as Paul said, they are spiritually blind and cannot understand or they are willfully ignorant, as scripture says, or blind to the arguments that you may present, which is the wisdom of God. But Jesus gave us some good advice on how to deal with unbelievers. In Matthew 7 verse 6 it says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pills before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. Matthew 15 verse 14, 
we read, Let them alone, they are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. However, we are exhorted to give a defense of our faith to anyone who asks. In 1 Peter 3 verse 15, it reads, uh, Peter says in, in that passage, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So these verses are good advice of how to handle people who are not saved. However, does this mean that we should leave non-believers alone? Not at all, not at all. It just means that sometimes I will be blind to the truth and we will not be able to reason with them. We need to understand this. We need to however share the gospel with them. They first need to be born again of the Spirit, as we see in John 3 verse 3, before they will be able to understand the true wisdom. Let's continue. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and you will be uh, still wiser. Teach a just man and you will increase in learning. Proverbs 1 verse 5 says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Matthew 13 verse 11 to 12, Jesus said, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The next verse will be the commentary of the latter part of the verse 8 and verse 9 that I just read. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It means that when we start fearing the Lord, it means we accept Him as our Lord and Savior, which means we start on the path of wisdom. Therefore, we start gaining understanding and wisdom. Hence to him who has, more will be given, meaning wisdom and knowledge of God. You will get more wisdom and more knowledge in God. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 to 17, I've already read this passage. It talks about all scriptures given by the inspiration of God. And at the end of it, it says, it's so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This verse, it's so important for us because the more we study the, the word of God, all scripture that they're talking about, the more we gain true wisdom and understanding. So let's continue in verse 11. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. This is certainly true about living a, a life in accordance to God's word. Because everything in scripture, or everything that scripture warns us about, is proven to be for our benefit. If we live according to biblical wisdom, instead of worldly wisdom, we don't have to worry about things such as contracting STDs, for example, which could reduce your life expectancy. We don't have to worry about how drug abuse and alcohol abuse can reduce our life expectancy. God has through his wisdom given us rules to live by to keep us safe and prolong our lives. He is God after all. He designed us. He knows what is good and bad for us. In general, this is true for someone that obeys scriptural advice. But for some it may not be. And we, we know we live in an imperfect world. We live in a sinful world, a fallen world. But this is certainly and most definitely true about eternal life. If we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we are promised life everlasting. And that in a physical, glorified, and resurrected body. So, verse 12. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you will bear it alone. At the end of the day, this decision, whether to follow wisdom or folly, it is your own decision. You will either reap the rewards, or you will bear the consequences. Yes, you may be deceived by false teachers or other circumstances, 
but you have the word of God it's your responsibility to make sure you you are in right standing with God that you are justified by faith alone so you know the saying derived from all Paul's letters we see it all throughout scripture you are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus alone so now let's look at the competing invitation that we have the way of folly verse 13 reads a foolish woman is clamorous she is simple and knows nothing from what we will read we'll see that the foolish woman stands in sharp contrast to wisdom we will see that everything the foolish woman does is meant to move us further away from Christ she is clamorous meaning she is making loud demands or claims she is boisterous verse 14 says for she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city we'll see as she can only imitate the true wisdom which is Jesus Christ and, and this is as it always has been in Isaiah 14 verse 14 it speaks about Lucifer it says I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will be like the Most High he wanted to be like the Most High being God we see this where she also has her own house and she takes a, a seat by the highest places of the city she copies wisdom who cries out from the highest places of in the city Satan can only copy and counterfeit God we see this in a, in a still future prophecies of where the Antichrist will be a counterfeit Messiah um, where, where he will perform counterfeit miracles and so on uh, we also see this in the Old Testament where the magicians of Egypt could to a degree copy some of the miracles it's only copies and counterfeits nothing original so verse 15 to call to those who pass by who go straight on their way she however does not send out maidens like wisdom does let's think about this for a moment she does not have to go after people who are not seeking for the truth because they are already on the path of foolishness on the path of uh, destruction we know that we are born into sin we have a sin nature Romans 3 verse 23 says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God it's the same as when there's a church full of lukewarm unsaved members who is complacent and pose no threat Satan and his forces are quite comfortable leaving them alone to their own devices Satan just needs to keep on nudging us in the opposite direction we are already so sinful and prideful that he does not have to go about and be as urgent but she tries to convince the ones that are seeking the truth who are active in the kingdom of God to pursue foolishness the desires of the flesh so as to render them either powerless for the kingdom of God or stripped of their close walk in we see these attacks in scripture in Romans 7 verse 19 it says for I do not do the good I want to do instead I keep on doing the evil I do not want to do and in Galatians 5 verse 17 it says for the flesh craves what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are opposed to each other so that you do not uh, do what you want so let's continue whoever in verse 16 whoever is simple let him turn in here as and as for him who lacks understanding she says to him stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant whoever is simple let him turn in here this is a great delusion she imitates wisdom by calling people in the same manner as well she knows everyone is seeking for meaning in life everyone before they are saved knows something is missing she promises to fill this void with counterfeit promises with things that can never truly satisfy us let's see what she offers it says stolen water is sweet Satan's strategy since the Garden of Eden seems to be to make us believe 
that the unlawful things are exciting or pleasurable, that it will somehow fulfill us. In Eden he said that if Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit, that they will be like God, knowing good and evil. Instead their disobedience led to death. In this verse the strategy again is to make us believe that the forbidden, unlawful, carnal desires of this world will lead to some type of spiritual fulfillment. But again, it leads to death, both physically, but spiritually and eternally as well. Verse 18 But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. The dead are there, talking about spiritually dead people. The destination of this banquet is in hell, as opposed to the first banquet, which is in heaven. In essence, today's Bible study consists of two invitations. The first invitation is to follow Christ and partake in all the earthly and heavenly blessings He has prepared for us. It's a banquet or wedding feast prepared by Christ for His church. And I just want to pause here for, for a moment because in the beginning of the study, I explained that you must please for yourself be like the Bereans and see whether you agree or not with this, with these uh, scripture passages. But even if you take wisdom um, not to be a personification of Jesus Christ and you just read it in the path of, w uh, of godly wisdom, then even godly wisdom will lead to knowledge in Jesus Christ because God is still the triune God and He wants us to be saved. John 3 verse 16 says He wants all of us to come to salvation. So let's continue. The second invitation is from, is from Satan. You can choose not to follow and place your trust in Jesus. However, this way leads to you joining Him, being Satan, in a place God prepared for Him and the fallen angels. This place was not prepared for us. Therefore, God has made a way for us to escape the certainty. Because without Christ, we are certainly lost. He made a way for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. God has, however, given us a free will. He wants us all to come to salvation. In John 3 verse 16, we see that. But unfortunately, if you do not make that decision, you have in essence made the alternative decision already. Or in other words, you have accepted the second invitation. I mentioned John 3 verse 18 earlier. So now let's read it quickly because it summarizes this decision. It says, He who believes in Him is not condemned. So that's talking about the decision people make um, after the the sort of the, the will of the Father that's in, um, in John 3 verse 16. But, he said, he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, if you have not made a decision, you are already condemned. No sin can stand in the presence of the perfect God. And if there is no one to carry the penalties for your sin, if there is no mediator, God unfortunately has no choice but to cast you away from Him. Only God knows our hearts. So please make sure that you truly do trust Jesus and have truly accepted Him as your Lord and Savior. It is not enough to only believe that Jesus exists. And some of you might say, whoa, what is He saying now? But listen to James 2 verse 19 what He says. He says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You have to believe in Jesus. Not merely that Jesus exists. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's it for today's Bible study. I would like to close in a word of prayer. My Almighty God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you have spoken to each and every listener to this podcast. 
It's amazing how you've used me and men to pen your word, about 40 of them over a period of approximately one and a half millennia, resulting in 66 different books. Tonight we once again saw that even though the Bible was written by so many different authors, and even though it was written over 1,500 uh, um, years, we can still see how your Holy Spirit has woven the golden thread that is Jesus Christ throughout the text. Lord, we pray that you will keep us and guide us to always follow wisdom, to follow you, Jesus, and that we won't be sidetracked by folly. We praise you for, be for your completed work of salvation and that it is a free gift to anyone who may choose to follow you. So we love you for that, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the United for the Messiah podcast. Please follow us at uh, potpoint.com. You can search for us um, under United for the Messiah. And uh, we look forward to bringing you another Bible study next week. Keep well and God bless.